Hey, Drew Dixon here, Chief Content Nerd at Love My Nerd, back with you for another Bible Thump, where we whack you upside the head with Bible and make you feel terrible. Um, just kidding, I'm not going to make you feel terrible. The goal here is simply to open up the Bible and find some encouragement, find some truth that will sustain us, that will give us hope, that will give us joy, that will give us life. So what we've been talking about for the last several weeks is identity. And we've said that identity is, it's the beliefs that motivate you. It's who you are. It's how you see yourself and how you see your place in the world. And so, your identity shapes your story. And so, we've gone back to the very beginning of the Bible to try and unpack the identity that God has set out for us as human beings. What was God's design for us and for the world? And therefore, what can we learn from that about our place in the world today? Uh, is it even relevant anymore? I think that's a fair question. I think it's a question a lot of people ask. Is the Bible's origin story relevant to life now? Um, and so, we've seen how um, there's all these false identities that we can buy into that can lead to all kinds of um, problems in our lives, right? False identities. If we see ourselves incorrectly, um, if we don't have an accurate view of ourselves, we'll have an inaccurate view of our place in the world. And that's going to to lead to frustration and disappointment and potentially to disaster. And that's ultimately what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Um, God had this beautiful design for them, these beautiful intentions for them. They were so full of potential. God made them in His image, which tells us that they exist to reflect His goodness, His love, His kindness, His beauty, His glory. And yet, um, they gave in to this temptation to eat of this weird tree, right? This tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it was this moment where they said, we want to be the ones that get to decide what's good, what's right, what's wrong, what's evil. Um, We want to be the arbiters of truth, right? We want to be the ones who are in charge. Um, But God's intention for Adam and Eve was for them to bear his image, to partner with him in the good work of bringing order and beauty and benefit out of the world he made. And that's what we see in the early chapters of Genesis. God created the world in Genesis 1-1, and then the rest of Genesis 1 is dedicated to God shaping the good world that he made. And by the way, that's what he said about it. After everything God makes, he says, it's good, right? And he finishes shaping and forming creation. He says, it's very good. But by the way, he doesn't say that until after everything's been put into order, into its place. And so, we see the various pieces of creation coming together to paint this picture. Um, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the world, and the world was formless and void. And so, we talked about how this word formless and void is, the, in the Hebrew, it's tohu babohu. And it's this idea that the world is not finished yet. It's not complete. It's not that the world isn't good in Genesis 1-1. It's that it's not yet of benefit to us, right? God has to create things like vegetation and day and night cycles and um, and water and land and soil and all these things that are going to really be good for who? For you and for me, for us, for human beings. Um, And so, what we saw last week is that um, God is the first worker. He's the first one that sets out to do exactly what he tells Eve and Adam to do in the garden, and that's to work and keep the garden, to bring goodness and order and benefit for human beings out of the world he made. Um, 
God does that first. He shapes Adam and Eve out of the ground and breathes into them the breath of life and then places them in this good garden and says, all right, now you now you work and keep and, and exercise dominion over this space. And they even get to join in, in this you know, work of naming things in the garden. Um, so, uh, I want to give a definition of work, and I've already kind of done this, but I want to talk about it. Um, and last week, I, wanna, I just want to remind you, we're talking about work for, for several reasons. Um, one, it's one of the things God created us to do, but then also, it's um, you spend so much of your life working, right? More time than any other single activity. I mean, we're going to be at our jobs for so much of our lives. And so, um, and whether, you know, that's whether you, you work a nine to five or you're a stay at home parent, um, whatever your role is, uh, you are going to be spending a lot of your life working. And so, if that's what we're going to be doing, um, we should try to understand God's design for it so that we might get more benefit out of it ourselves, so we might enjoy it more, we might do it in a way that actually makes the world a better place and that, um, you know, brings glory to our Creator. No one talks about about work the way the Bible does. And then fourthly, we'll be working for all eternity. So, we saw last week about how there's these visions of the new heavens and the new earth and books like Isaiah that envision a day when we'll build vineyards and eat their fruit and build houses and inhabit them. So, we'll be doing things that we would call work, but they're going to be work without all the frustration of work. But I want to go back to the beginning again um, and talk about where things went wrong, right? God's design was good. Um, he takes that which is formless and empty and brings good out of it. This word formless and empty or formless and void, it's kind of almost like the idea of a desert. And so, God takes that which is desert and makes it bear fruit, right? Takes an arid, dry land and makes it bud with life, right? Um, so, what does God do in the rest of creation? He's shaping, forming, he's making things better for us. He's doing this for us. So, let's give a definition of work. I've already kind of done this before, but 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 here, let, let's really iron it out. Work is this, bringing order or beauty out of God's good world for God's glory and the benefit of others, the benefit of other people. Um, so, God tasked Adam and Eve God is the first worker, tasked Adam and Eve in the garden to do what he did, to subdue the world, to take tohu vabohu and turn it into tov, that which is formless and empty and make it good. There's a play on words there, right? Tohu vabohu, formless and empty, tov in Hebrew is good. So, God is in the business of making things better, and he calls us to join him in making things better. Taking that which is incomplete, making it complete, bringing things to where they'll, the world will be a better place. Um, so, that's literally part of our calling, a central part of our calling as human beings in the world, is to step into this place and, and make it better. Make it better for us, but also make it better for our neighbors. From the very beginning, God calls us to a neighborly sort of living. Do you see that? A... Christian, a quote-unquote Christian view of work is one that says, like, my role in working is not just for me. It's not just to pay the bills. It's not just to make my life better. Um, that is part of it. But my role in working in the world is to try and improve this human project that God has begun. It's to make your world better, to 
listen to you and hear about your needs so that I might be a better neighbor to you. We've always, as human beings, been called to live in a very neighborly, um, thoughtful way that takes in mind what do the people around us need? How can they be served? Um, I think from the very beginning, God called us to live in a way that is mindful of the vulnerable and the needy. So, God's good world that He created was wonderful, but it wasn't complete. And so, He tasks us with working and ruling and subduing the same work that He did in the garden. And when He says subduing, by the way, it doesn't mean like military conquest, but this is this idea of, of making things work. It's like, you know, going in and taking soil that's rocky and getting all the rocks out so that now it can bear fruit, right? Um, it's kind of the idea. Um, so God creates partners, not slaves. God subdues in such a way that brings order and beauty and benefit out of out of that which is like desert. Um, and so uh, let's talk. We, we've talked about the potential of work, right? We've talked about how uh, God designs work as actually a good thing. It's it's something He shares with us. Like if you think about um, a project that's really important to you. Um, and how difficult sometimes it can be to share that work with someone else, you get an idea of what God's doing in the garden. Um, He's sharing a super important job with us, which tells us He really loves us and values us and wants community with us. Um, But I also want to point out how we see in the garden that the work that we do um, is broken. It's not always enjoyable, right? It's not always fun. It doesn't always fulfill us. And a lot of times, the work that we do, it's hard for us to even see how it's going to make the world a better place. And honestly, it shouldn't surprise us that our experience of work is disappointing and doesn't feel like it's full of potential. Because the moment that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said things like this, this is Genesis uh, 3.17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For to, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So in a moment, when Adam and Eve kind of take take life, as it were, into their own hands and say, in this moment when they say, I'm not going to trust you anymore, God, I'm going to, I'm going to try and take control here, um, their experience of work in that moment forever shifted, um, forever changed. It was forever broken. And so, from now on, work is difficult. It doesn't always pay well. It takes a toll on our physical bodies. Even if you sit at a desk all day, right? Even if you're a programmer or a writer or something like me, I'm a writer and editor, um, and you sit at a desk all day, it still has a, has a, uh, it wears us out mentally and physically. So that's what these thorns and thistles are about. Instead of producing fruit, sometimes our work results in thorns and thistles that choke out the work. That's the idea here is that when you plant a garden, what do you want, right? You want like tomatoes or watermelons or, Uh, potatoes or something. You don't want thorns and thistles. You don't want weeds. Um, So now the ground is cursed. It's not doing what we want it to all the time. That doesn't mean it won't do what we want it to or that our work won't be really wonderful sometimes, but sometimes it's going to be really frustrating. 
so in pain will eat of it. It's going to be rough sometimes. It's kind of the idea here. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat, right? So um, we experience things like work not paying like we would like it to. We experience things like unemployment. Uh, we experience things like greed. We experience things like employers um, who don't treat us properly and fairly. We experience things like working for companies that are super greedy rather than trying to think about how we can make the world a better place, right? Um, do you realize how many people in America and across the globe, honestly, are criminally undervalued and underrewarded for their work? Right? This is even a bigger problem overseas in many ways than it is here in the States. But one of the primary ways work is broken by the fall is by the countless companies whose philosophy of employment is to get the most out of their employees while giving them the least possible in return, right? But a Christian view of work restores its dignity, I believe. A biblical view of work sees work as something that should be honored and rewarded. Um, we want to get back to this design that God had for it in the garden, um, because as Christ is making all things new, that means the way we see the work that we do. A Christian view of work restores his dignity. It honors and rewards the work of image bearers responsibly and gener generously. So, um, if you're an employer, if you have people who work for you, the Bible calls us to rethink how we, we think about compensation, how we treat the people who work for us. Um, we may not ever get treated the way we deserve to be treated in the work that we do, but if we have the opportunity for other people to work for us, we should do everything we can to make that experience really, really wonderful and really good and really life-giving and, and compensate them as best as we possibly can uh, in ways that will allow them to flourish and them to have um, a safer, uh, more secure, more, um, more wonderful existence, honestly. Um, so I got I got this from uh, from Tim Mackey, who's one of the guys in the Bible Project. Um, but he, he he I heard him preach a sermon one time on work, and he said we need to ask ourselves if we feel more of Genesis one and two, God's design, or Genesis three in our work. Um, do we feel more of brokenness in our work or more potential in our work? That's the idea here. Um, so Genesis one. Genesis 1 questions, where is there desert in my life, right? Where is there um, things that are not complete, that are not full, and how can I get to work to bring order and beauty for God's glory out of, out of that space for my neighbor? Um, so, let's, let's give an example. Let's say you are a cashier at a grocery store. Um, how can you bring order and beauty out of that experience, out of that space, for God's glory and the good of your neighbor. Uh, well, here's a really simple way. Like, you can be a cashier in a way that's, like, just really kind and friendly, and you can try to make the people who come to your to your aisle, um, you know, and, and to, to, to have, to, for your help to, to check out, you can try to make their experience really great. It's a really simple way that you can bring order and beauty and benefit uh, into that space, right? Or if you are... Uh, Let's say an architect. You can kind of you can design buildings that are going to be a benefit to other people. If you are um, a janitor, I've used this before, but you, you can try to make spaces clean and safe and comfortable for people. Um, 
doesn't matter what your job is. And there are a handful of jobs that are exploitative. Um, most of them are criminal, right? Um, but but the vast majority of jobs that we do, there are ways that we can make others' lives better through the work that we do. And we can approach that work in such a way that honors people made in God's image. But we need to also ask, besides asking Genesis 1 questions, we need to also ask Genesis 3 questions. So, where that this is the idea of where have things gone wrong, right? Where have things gone wrong in the work that I do, in my approach to the work that I do? What are the problems in the work that I set out to do? Um, and so, then, once we've identified those, we can also ask the question of, how can I be a part of the solution? How can I bring the gospel to bear on the work that I do? Um, you know, so so where am I frustrated with work, and how can I fix those problems? How can I solve those problems? Um, Where's my attitude wrong in the work that I do? And how might I look to God to, to repair that? Um, are there ways in which the work that I'm doing is exploiting other people? In that case, maybe I do need to rethink, like, is there a conversation that needs to happen with your employer or with your, with your manager so that you might tweak those things? But, you know, because, hey, that's, that's what we're called to do. And there are instances at times when, when the companies we work for are doing things that exploit people, whether they know it or not. Um, that's a risky conversation to have, but I think in light of what, what the Bible says, it's, those are conversations worth having. So, where is there potential for already order and beauty and benefit? Um, how are you gifted? How are the people around you gifted? How are you empowered? And then, how are you empowering others? Here's what I want you to know. There is so much potential in your heart, in your life, in your mind, and you simply, by being human, you have so much potential to make an impact on the world, uh, for, to demonstrate the love of God, to serve people in a way that points people to Him, um, to make the world a better place, and to bring forward this mission God has given us of extending Christ's kingdom to the ends of the earth, to making Christ's love and kindness and mercy and justice known throughout the world. Um, And that all has to do with how we approach our jobs. These things are not disconnected. They're not secular jobs and then Christian or spiritual jobs. They're just jobs. And they all have an eternal spiritual impact on this world that God loves and that God is in the process of renewing and redeeming. It's exciting. I hope you sense some excitement. I hope you have some excitement about the work that you get to do. Um, I do. And I hope that this uh, conversation uh, sends you back out into the world, excited about what God wants to do in you and through you, through the work that He has placed in your lap, or that He is placing in your lap that He's preparing you for. Um, You have so much potential. Thanks for listening. Remember, if no one tells you, we want you to hear it here. Jesus loves you, nerd.